wonder if, um, like me, you find belief to be kind of hard. Find it hard to keep believing sometimes? Especially when life is difficult, right? You ever find that when life is really hard, it's, it's tough to believe. Maybe not you, you'll know friends like this, or family members, neighbors. Maybe somebody at work is going through a really tough time. You'll have a hard time believing in the midst of that. Why is that? Because if you were to dig beneath the surface of most people's casual life, you know, the life that they project to those around them, you would basically find beneath that casual surface a litany of woes. Like, what's a litany of woes? A song of despair. A poem of hopelessness. A litany of woes. I was told this week about a little seven-year-old boy who um, is going through a really difficult time in his family. His mom's dying of cancer. His family is broken. He's basically on his own most of the time. He's seven. And he was being asked in a session why he's so angry. And particularly, he was expressing anger at God, a seven-year-old. You know what he said? He said, I'm angry at God because I keep asking him for things, and he never comes through. And I thought, wow, that is some profound insight from a seven-year-old. And you know what? From the perspective of somebody who doesn't know Jesus, he's absolutely right. Most people spend their lives basically alone. Yes, they may have relationships, they may have busyness, but when it's all stripped away, just you in the quiet of the night, there's a very good chance that you may find yourself feeling completely and utterly alone. And that little seven-year-old boy who's angry at God because God never answers his prayer, I think to some degree lives within all of our hearts, and for sure he lives within the heart of somebody that you know and love. Why would we still believe, even when life is so difficult? Well, I can give you nine good reasons. I can give you nine reasons to still believe, even though life is really difficult. One, because the story continues. Two, because yes, you're somewhere, but change is on the way. Three, because there are patterns of redemption that are already at work in your life that maybe you're just not noticing. Four, because even the in-between times in your life can become something beautiful in Jesus. Five, because nothing is specifically wrong with you. Like the rest of us, you're just stuck east of Eden for now. Six, because your only real problem, like everyone else, is you may be listening to the wrong interpreters. Seven, all you really need is an encounter with God. Eight, because whether your story's about to get better, or if you feel forgotten, or even if it's about to get worse, the word of the Lord is coming true. And finally, nine, there's a reason to believe, because unlike um, Pharaoh's fool cupbearer, God will never forget you. You guessed it, I um, discovered all these in Genesis chapter 40, which happens to be today's text. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. 
The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison. Each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We've had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not all interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph, and he said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for the Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered him and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Genesis 40. It's funny, you know, my life as a preacher... Last week, if you were here, you will have heard me mention that um, Genesis 39 was easy work. As soon as I sat down with the chapter, I could see its symmetry right away. I knew what it was about right away. I had a sense as to what the Holy Spirit was going to do through it as I preached it. I kind of could have preached it on Tuesday. This week was not like that. When I came to Genesis 40 on Tuesday, it freaked me right out. I was like, what on earth am I going to do with this? And so I had to, when I find myself in a week like that, I kind of have to slow down. I kind of go slow, one step at a time, and I talk to the Lord quite a bit asking him to show me mercy. But, true to form, he came through, and it's my hope this morning that he shows up in your life as we unpack this beautiful chapter which contains within it keystone habit number four. Here's keystone habit number four. Keep the faith. It will not be forgotten. So um, just take a look at what a keystone habit is. I want to remind you every week as we work our way through. Okay, a keystone habit is a habit that can cascade into other habits. I love the domino idea, the domino effect of a keystone habit. It's a habit that literally has the ability to change other habits in your life. So keystone habit number four, keep the faith. It will not be overlooked. It will not be forgotten. So here's the number one reason you should keep believing. You should keep believing because the story always continues. I get this right out of verse one. Sometime after this. Have you noticed by now that so many of the chapters in Genesis start with some kind of reference to time? Sometime later, after some time, some days later, and it came to pass. Okay, sometime after this. I want you to notice that these stories never end. I hope that this does not make you bored. Right? I hope that it does not make your eyes, okay, here we go again. And sometime past. These stories always continue. You know why I love the fact that these stories never end? Because we're part of it. 
Okay, we are part of this story that never ends. It should give you great encouragement that you are caught up in the story of God and his people, and he is still the same God, and you are still his people. This story never ends. What do we fear more than almost anything else? The cataclysmic ending of something that we didn't expect. Right? We fear the cataclysmic end to this run of good luck that we've been enjoying for the last 10 years. We fear the sudden and unexpectedly cataclysmic end to this relationship that we've been enjoying these past seven months. We fear the sudden and unexpected cataclysmic end of this run of good health that we've been enjoying for the last 20 years. Isn't it true? Isn't that the root what we fear is a sudden, unexpected, cataclysmic end? To this, I say, the story of God and his people is without end. Knowing that the story continues should give you great hope to navigate the part of the story that you may find yourself in, even if it's a very dark part of the story. Just tell yourself to calm down. The story's not likely to end tomorrow. How do I know? Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. His story is unfolding. And as you are part of your story, the story of God is continuing to unfold. And he's a good God, and he will see it through to completion in your life. He's still God. You're still his people. Keep believing. Like, I love this sermon already. Just that one point right there will help me navigate the week ahead. He's still God. You're still his person. Keep believing. These great truths are why you shouldn't allow your mindset to get stuck in your somewhere. Look, to me, look with me at verse 3. See where Joseph was when this story began. So the uh, two eunuchs, again it's the word saris, okay? So these are eunuchs, just like last week. The two officers of Pharaoh do something to offend him. And so he throws them in prison, verse 3. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. Notice in the prison where Joseph was confined. These two officers are thrown in jail right where Joseph happens to be. This leads us beautifully to point number two. Um, You should keep believing because, yes, you're somewhere, but change is on the way. Okay, It's, It's on the way. You're somewhere. Okay, This does not change the fact that the somewhere you're at might be somewhere ugly. It may not be somewhere great, but that's where you are. Do not lose hope. Because change is on the way. Do you notice that until the moment these two eunuchs showed up, Joseph would have had no idea that salvation was coming. How great is that? Did you ever talk yourself off the ledge with this deep truth? I often do. It happens to me at least once a week. I find myself in dire straits. I find myself feeling borderline hopeless. And I say to my soul, relax, because maybe today is the day it turns. And if you're thinking, gee, Todd, you're hopelessly deluded, I would hope that you might consider that maybe I'm not deluded, maybe I'm a son of God who is being filled with hope as he ages and gets to know the God of the universe as his friend. You know who I learned this from? Let's give credit where credit is due. This is atypical for me. This is off script. Okay? I learned this concept from Joel Osteen. No joke. If you don't know who Joel Osteen is, that's fine. But if you knew who he was, you'd think it's pretty weird that Todd to this day remembers something he read in one of his books 15 years ago. And who do you think Joel Osteen learned it from? Probably from his dad. And who does dad learn it from? Probably from his long study of Norman Vincent Peale. You're like, who's Norman Vincent Peale? Look him up. He's one of the great teachers of the power of positive thinking. And his teaching was that a good thing is always just around the corner. Or at the very least, it might be 
always just around the corner. And so in light of that, you should not live in despair. And so look, I'm not trying to preach prosperity gospel to you here, but I want to remind you that God is still God, He is still good, and there's at least a chance that it's about to turn. Why can I say that? Because that's what happened to Joseph, and he is the subject of our story this morning. He's in jail, he has no idea that salvation's about to show up, but yet it does. This is kind of the mega theme of the story of God and his people. It's kind of the big, 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 really big idea. You think you're alone? You're not. Is somebody praising the Lord in their heart? Right? You think you're alone, you're not. That's kind of the whole point of the story of God and his people. Adam, was he alone? No. God knew it wasn't good for him to be alone, so he gave him a wife, Eve. He just woke up one morning, and there she was. Imagine how nice that would have been. He's been dealing with giraffes and donkeys and elephants and lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. And the next morning, he wakes up next to this sweet thing. Have mercy, Lord. Right? Adam wasn't alone. Even Cain wasn't alone. After he killed his brother Abel, what did God do? He put a mark on him so that no one else would kill him. And the mark said, if you kill him, you'll get seven times the vengeance. So God, even in punishing Cain, does not leave him, I mean, does not leave even Cain alone. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. For real, how awesome is that? Cain wasn't alone. Noah wasn't alone. God loves him so much, he sends him into the ark with his whole family and a bunch of animals. Me, I'm not really an animal lover. I'd be like, this is so annoying. But imagine if you loved animals, how happy you'd be like, I got giraffes and lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. And some of these animals would have been descended from the animals that were hanging out with Adam. You see, God is always up to the same thing. Noah wasn't alone. Abraham wasn't alone. He left the land of his fathers with his whole family in tow. All his servants, a whole clan, heading off to the land that God will show him. Eve wasn't alone. Eve became the mother of all humanity. Are you so excited to meet Eve? I can't wait. Imagine what the lineup's going to be outside Eve's house, right? All the well-wishers coming to say hi to mom. Won't it be fun to see which aspects of your DNA you inherited from her? I bet you at least one of you in this room is going to look her in the eye and realize that your own eyes are looking right back at you. Right? Eve wasn't alone. I can't wait to meet her. She wasn't alone. Sarah wasn't alone. She's with her, I mean, stupid seaman husband wandering through the wilderness trying to find a land that God will show her. What's she doing? Running the house, running their life, keeping them alive, loving her husband, helping to lead that clan. She's not alone. She's not by herself. Yeah, she's childless for a long time. But guess what? Isaac showed up. Somebody shout. Know what happened to Hagar when Isaac showed up? Nasty old Sarah forced Abraham to force Hagar out. But even as Hagar lay dying of thirst, ooh, somebody, hmm. I was going to say, touch your neighbor and say, receive it. But I'm not T.D. Jakes just yet. Even as Hagar is sitting in the wilderness, dying of thirst, and has put her son under the shade of a tree so she doesn't have to watch him die, she is, receive it. She's not alone. The angel of the Lord heard her in in her distress and opened her eyes and showed her a well of water. Hagar wasn't alone. Miriam wasn't alone. When she wrote her song, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Only the charismatics know this. The horse and rider thrown into the sea. She's on the east side of the Red Sea, surrounded by the entire family of God, singing next to her brother Aaron and crazy old Moses. Miriam wasn't alone. Neither was Moses. Joshua wasn't alone. He had a few faithful spies who stuck with him all the way through. And my friend Rahab, the prostitute, was not alone because God had set his grace upon her 
and caused her and her entire family to be saved. I can't do any better than this. How good is this? You are not alone. You think you are, but you're not. You know what the big point of the Bible is? God steps in. <laughs> Full stop! God steps in. That's kind of the point. So look, you know, point number three. If you look close at your life because God has stepped in, you will see patterns of redemption that are already there. How do I know? Because I read verse 4. What happens in verse 4? The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. Notice, this is a pattern in Joseph's life. What happened in Potiphar's house? Joseph was put in charge of everything. What happens now in the prison? Joseph is put in charge of everything. You know what the point of this is? The point of this is encapsulated beautifully in Isaiah 14, 27. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Let's quote Mel Lastman. Nobody! Nobody can stop the Lord Almighty. Isn't that incredibly encouraging? Very sobering, very encouraging. If he has decided to bless you, nobody can stop him. If he has decided to um, punish you, nothing can stop him. He's God, you're not. He's in charge. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Nobody. And why is this awesome? Because God is awesome. Do you remember that God invented math? He loves mathematics. Loves it. We see it all throughout the fabric of the universe. God loves math. What else does he love? He loves music. Why does he love music? Well, probably because it has symmetry like math. He loves music so much that his entire throne is surrounded by music day and night without end. He loves math. He loves music. Ergo, he loves symmetry. God loves symmetry. Why is this important? Because the patterns of his grace are everywhere. Maybe it's just time for us to take our eyes off our screens for one second and see the world again. Somebody shout. Spend so much time hooked into the matrix that we've forgotten the glory of God is on display in the world around us. Friend, it's God's grace that redeems the in-between times in your life. How do I know? Well, because of verse 4, part B. They continued for some time in custody. For some time. An indeterminate amount of time, they're sitting in prison with Joseph. You notice what Joseph does with his in-between time? The Bible doesn't say it. You've got to read beneath what the Bible says to see what he was doing with his in-between time. What's he doing? He's doing his work, and he's building relationship. You can take that one with you, and it'll change your week this week. Okay, you find yourself languishing in the shadowlands. What am I supposed to do with my life? Do your work and build relationships. That's awesome. Okay, look, you should keep believing because even the in-between times in your life can become something beautiful in Jesus. Somebody receive it this morning. How do I know? Because nothing is wasted with Jesus. Jesus would love the city of Guelph. Why? Because he doesn't waste anything. How do I know? Because he didn't even waste death. He turned it back to life. You could say he's the ultimate recycler. Right? He goes to the cross to do what? Take a bunch of trash. Your sin and mine. <laughs> and he pays the price for it. Then he dies. Because the wages of sin is death. But then, <laughs> the recycler turns that death into something beautiful, rising again the third day, that very first Easter Sunday morning, 
defeating in his body the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell forever. He takes death and turns it into life. <laughs> That's your Jesus. <laughs> Captain Recycling. He doesn't waste anything. Are you receiving this this morning? He doesn't waste anything. So I'm going to say this to you with love. I really care about you. Okay, I really sweat these details because I care that you get the goodness of God. Do you really think that a God who wastes nothing is going to start with you? No, I mean, do you think he's going to start wasting things with you? No, he's not. He's never wasted a thing. He's not going to all of a sudden decide, you know what? You're the one person in history that I'm going to decide to waste. He's not going to waste your suffering. He's not going to waste your pain. He's not going to waste your potential. He's not going to waste the person that he's making you to be. Like my brother loves to say, receive it. (laughs) He doesn't waste a thing. But Todd, you don't know how bad my life is. Okay, look, point five. You should keep believing because there is nothing specifically wrong with you. Other than the fact that you're descended from people who were made good then fell. So you're born with this thing called a sin problem. Let me tell you the thing about a sin problem. Everyone has it. I'm not trying to tell you you're not sinful. I'm trying... I wrote this for you, Chris. I'm trying to tell you you're not the only one who's sinful. What's worse than feeling sinful? Feeling like you're the only one who's sinful. Okay? Welcome to the church that doesn't ostracize anybody. Anybody. Nothing wrong with you. You've got a sin problem like the rest of us. Like the rest of us, you're just a little bit stuck east of Eden for now. <laughs> but where's the waymaker taking you? Somebody tell me where the waymaker has taken you. He's taking Yes, say it again. He's taking you home. Hallelujah. And Jerusalem is in the west. <laughs> yes, it is. It's, it's west. It's west of Eden. Yes, it is. You're just east of Eden for now, which is why you're sad. Like the eunuchs in verses 5 through 7. One night, both of these cats dreamed. The cupbearer and the baker, the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison. Each his own dream. Each dream with his own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked the Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? <laughs> I'm going to take my liberty here. I'm going to go a little bit over time, but not super over time. In today's vernacular, he sees they're sad. He says to them, why are you sad, bro? And they say back to him, because we're in prison, bro. <laughs> That's why we're sad. They're sad because they're in prison. Or was it the existential pain that they were really sad about? Think maybe? Because, I mean, prison's bad. But what's worse than prison? Prison in your mind. And what's worse than prison in your mind? The prison of an unregenerate soul. Existential pain is the real problem your friends are dealing with. Prison of the mind, the prison of an unregenerate soul. Let me tell you, as my wife Nicole and I dig deeper into our careers, 
Okay, her as a budding psychotherapist, me as a gospel preacher who gets the pleasure of working in the midst of a perishing world. We are not getting more and more optimistic with the human condition as we grow up into our careers. I don't know if you've noticed, but the age of enlightenment, capitalism, globalization, the information superhighway, and AI are not creating heaven on earth. They're just not. You'd be shocked at the depravity, lostness, brokenness, and borderline helplessness that exists within the confines of this very room, let alone in the wild, wild west of mainstream culture. Your friends are dying. They are living in a living hell already. They look like they're fine, they're not. Many of us in this room look like we're fine and we're not. You know why the world is broken? This is the point that reduced me to sobbing as I wrote it. It literally, it was like I got struck by lightning. The thought just came into my head out of nowhere. I realized in that moment why the world is broken. You know why the world is broken? Point number six, because there is no one to interpret our dreams. Verses 7 and 8. Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we've had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. Here, I, I didn't show first service. Can you see my notes? See those circles here? Do you see them? Okay. Those are the tears that dripped from my face as I wrote this line. I literally stopped and was overcome by racking sobs as the weight of that point that had just dropped into my head overwhelmed me. We live in a world where there is no one to interpret our dreams. Until you meet Jesus, you're like a sheep without a shepherd. But when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Next time you're having an argument about existentialism with a friend, a neighbor, a family member, a coworker, like someone with whom you have a little bit of relational capital, don't bust this out on somebody you just met. Okay? But next time you're in one of those deep conversations and they're really pushing you and you're really kind of at loggerheads between your Jesus-focused worldview and their worldly-focused worldview, I want to invite you to ask them this question. Look, how's your self-actualization working out for you? Is corporate America doing a good job interpreting your dreams? I'm just asking. Like, is self-help popular psychology doing a good job interpreting your dreams? How's your lifestyle of high after high doing at interpreting your dreams? How's your pursuit of affluence doing at helping you interpret your dreams? Look, like, has Buddha brought you peace? Has Muhammad taught it to you? Does Billie Eilish really have the answer? How about Ricky Gervais? I am so sick of Ricky Gervais. Is Michelle Williams' suggestion to the women of the world that they rise up and begin living and working exclusively in their own self-interest, really the answer we're all looking for? Like the Golden Globes almost pushed me off the edge this year. All those things came from the Golden Globes. Would somebody just call a spade a spade already and say, point number seven, all you really need is an encounter with the living God. How do I know? Because of verse eight, and Joseph said to them, do not all interpretations belong to God? What you need is God, period. What your friends need is God, period. They may not believe it. They may not acknowledge it. 
It is the truth. Mark my words. If you continue in relationship with them long enough, the day will come when they come to you broken and say, that's it. I'm at the end of my rope. Take me to Jesus. Let me again say, no one comes to Jesus until they experience that kind of brokenness. Because until you have, you think you've got what it takes. And only once you've realized that you don't got what it takes do you run yourself to the very first church you can find. And hopefully, it's a Jesus-preaching, spirit-filled, welcoming church where you can be invited in to taste and see that the Lord is good because only the Lord is good. The reason you can't find your way is because you've been listening to all the wrong interpreters and you've been following the wrong guides. And worship team, you can join me because I'm almost done. Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the ditch. Matthew 15, 13 through 14. If you want to learn to believe again, <laughs> return to the one and only true interpreter. Okay, I borrowed this pastoral methodology from Andy Stanley. Let's give credit where credit is due. Today, take one step back in relationship with God. Just one step. You don't got to run the whole marathon today. Just take one step back into relationship with God because he is the one and only true interpreter. Because look, point number nine, whether your story's about to get better or whether you feel forgotten or even if it's about to get worse, I told you, God loves symmetry. Those are the stories of, respectively, the cupbearer, Joseph, and the baker. Better, forgotten, worse. Wherever you happen to fit on that continuum right now, whether your story looks like it's getting better, whether you're feeling forgotten, whether your story's about to get worse, know this. What happens in verses 20 through 23? The word of the Lord comes true. Pharaoh throws a birthday party, restores both of his officers to their office for a minute, lets the cupbearer get his job back, and kills the baker just like Joseph said he would. The word of God is coming true no matter what. But unlike the fool cupbearer, God will never forget you. That's why I read today's invocation, John chapter 6, of all that the Father gives me, I will lose nothing. If you belong to Jesus, you're in his heart. And that is a very good reason to keep believing.